Thanks for tuning in to the White Wolf's Den. My name's White Wolf. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell kind of name is that? Am I another cliche talking head that will howl aimlessly into the mic? No, I will not. White Wolf is my second middle name, and there's no H. Why? Because my dad was a crazy asshole. You may notice the intro's a little different. I have a very special guest today. His name's Jean Pelleron. He's a director who directed some amazing music videos that were the beginning of MTV with Wayne Isham. He's a musician that I had the privilege of playing with. He uh, is a bluegrass slide guitar player. He has a pretty interesting story, and we're going to get to it here. So, Sing me a song, Bobby. You want me to sing you a song? Yeah, that's right. Uh, should I do the one I did the other night? That because, was nice. That, was, that, that was really nice. I know it. So, <clears throat> <clears throat> Actually, I need to close that door. Really? Yeah, just to save any noise that I can. Really? Yeah. No, but there's no dogs here today. Do you have a dog, Bobby? I know you My have a goose. A dog. I do, and I have a goose, and she's 33 years old. Her name oh. is Gertrude, Gert, and it's not a joke. I, I can't wait to meet, to yeah, meet her. Yeah, I can't wait to meet her. So, oh, man, <clears throat> serious. A song. Let's start this thing, this thing with a song. Said I. <clears throat> Goodbye. No use leading with our chins. This is where our story ends. ever friends Goodbye Let our hearts call it a day But before I walk away I sincerely want to say
but most of all, when snowflakes fall, I wish you love. <laughs> All right, we started a song. We started this whole thing off with a song because because Jean is the director here. <laughs> so. Oh come on, Bobby! You know that was a great song. You sang that song for me the other night. Yeah, we were. It was perfect. And he had no idea that was coming. He thought I was going to sing Green Day or something. No, that. Either that or. I wanna rock and roll all night. I'm yeah, sorry, no, sorry, you're no, you're fine. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> you know who the hell am I talking to today? So you know, first of all, you know you're on the White Wolf Den. It's a we're a fledgling plot podcast, and we're getting started. And I got a friend of mine here. Can you introduce yourself to anybody listening right now? Well, Bobby, why don't you introduce yourself? I don't even know your last name, Bob. <laughs> And well, then what are you doing at my house? We ate together. I know. Well, you still my, well know. my real name. Yeah. So all the people who want to scam me and call me to get my identity. Uh-huh. Robert Joseph. Yeah. White Wolf with no H. Garofalo. Garofalo. So yeah. you're Italian. I am Italian, but okay. actually my background is uh, on my mom's side. She's uh-huh. Italian, German. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And a little Russian. Okay. And then on my dad's side, mm. it was Dutch and Italian. Why, well, you're a 51 flavored mutt, aren't you? <laughs> well, what, are you uh, of purebred? No. Uh, you know, it takes one to know one. Yeah. Probably. You know, it's, no, no, I'm just like I'm a combination of uh, French-Canadian, French-Native, uh, um uh, probably some Italian in there, some whatever. You know, it's like the old country. But I know I was um, actually part of the first colony people to come to Canada from France, from the jails or whatever. Ah, so you have a rich family history. <laughs> oh yeah, rich of in uh, in uh, in uh, defamacy. <laughs> what um? So you were born in. Canada. I was, yeah, I was born in a little town outside of Montreal. It's basically a little uh, factory town. There was no English people. Spoke only French. There was no black people. Never met a guy, black guy. First time I met a black guy, I was 14 years old. Where was that? In my hometown. In your hometown where yeah, there is no black like, people. Exactly. What was he something. doing there? Did he live there? Uh, yeah, he just like, you know, somebody adopted him. I don't know. He was just like, you know, he moved there. Just the first black guy I've ever met. Mm. Uh, there was no Jewish people. I didn't know anything about the Jewish faith or anything. That's not necessarily true because I think I remember when I was talking to you, you said they were very Catholic there. Yeah. And basically the Old Testament, that's a lot of, it's yeah, the Torah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about there's no, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, Orthodox Jew or yeah. really, uh, you know, people that you see on the street, they go, wow, they're Jewish. They're dressing yeah. up like gangster or whatever or yeah. whatever. I know what you're saying. <laughs> but, you know, it was very, uh, you know, like a remote, uh, right close to the Ontario and New York border. So, so when you were learning the Bible and you were you were learning in French, correct? The Bible? Uh, when you were doing being Catholic there? Yeah. So did you think Jesus was French? 
<laughs> no, I knew he was a Jew. <laughs> but you didn't know what a Jew <laughs> yeah, looked like. Exactly. That's so hilarious. I didn't know it's like, what's a Jew? I don't know. I always Jew. wonder how people perceive things like, you know, like, you know, because where you grow up, it's like you always get an image and nobody, you'll see a picture on the wall and it's always an Italian guy because it's always the the Renaissance guys were drawing, like, cause I'm Italian. When I had long hair and a beard, I looked like Jesus because Jesus, all those paintings are Italians. So I was like, Yeah, but Jesus was a skinny guy. Well, he was also not white <laughs> he was he was middle eastern he was of probably course, yeah. like dark like as hell you know he's yeah. probably super dark he was like by probably e- looked like osama bin Laden. even darker probably because sure, <laughs> sure. he was in caves so he didn't get a lot of sun Dude, jesus was in cave too before <laughs> oh. he resurrected <laughs> Gee, there you go don't you know you're you know like Catholic history? Yeah, I do. I do, I do know. So I, was so was Saddam Hussein was found in the cave, right? Yeah. So maybe they lighten up. They maybe Jesus look, probably look like one another. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, this podcast's going to the dogs right now. It always does. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's nobody's listening, anyways. Um, right, so perfect. so <laughs> that's, that's so we can awesome. say whatever we want. There Actually, I'm hoping if we say something really crazy, then maybe maybe it'll get on the news. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, man. So we could, we could talk, and they'll be like, "Hey, Jean and White Wolf hate <laughs> hate the Bible or something." I love it. I, whatever. Whatever's good, you know? Yeah, that's um, right. Oh, so, we could shock if we want. We can trick. We can, like, put Howard Stern to shame. So, no way. Well, I'm not even, I don't want to start a battle with him because right now he's got a, more fans than I do. So yeah, then the he, they could bully thing. me. They could bully yeah. me. Hey, uh, so where did you go? Where did you go uh, after Canada? Like, how did, did you move to L.A. then? Or? No, what we were talking about earlier, at one point, I, uh, I went to school there and uh, I got, Kicked out of high school. Oh, oh, you okay? So when you were in Canada, you got kicked exactly, out of school. Exactly. Kicked out of school because I wouldn't rat on my friends that were selling dope. Mm. And at one point, before I got kicked out of high school, I wanted to get out of that little town that I was living in. It was called Valley Field. Yeah. Beautiful little town, but it's just like, you know, I, I had to get out of it. So I applied to this very prestigious acting school in Canada where they took like out of 800 you know like applicants they took like eight people all over Canada and when that happened that was in December of 75 or 76 and then all of a sudden uh, that shit happened in high school like I kicked out of high school but then I got this letter saying hey you've been accepted to this prestigious college so I said well I don't have to do my exams or anything I got kicked out of high school I'm already accepted so so that was my ticket out of town and that was away from my my little town so it was closer to Montreal Hmm. so right off the bat I was out of that town and then from there uh, they realized that I never got my high school diploma Hmm. And then they came after me and said, well, you got to do your exams again and stuff. And I said, ah, sure, no problem. And then when time came to do my exam, I'm, I just didn't show up or whatever. And they said, well, you got to do them again. And then by then I transferred to another college. <laughs> so I sort of left the paper trail that was, you know. And eventually I knew I, that acting and stuff wasn't going to cut it. 
because I could, I would only, always be doing something that somebody else wanted me to do. So it was like a you know subordinate type of thing. Then I got into film. Then I went to film school up there, but there was no film being made in Canada in the seventies. Mm-hmm. But you went to film school up there. I start. I went to acting <laughs> school. Then I transferred to a film program yeah. at another school. Huh. You can set that there if you oh, want. Thanks, man. Yeah. And uh, and then at one point, um, I knew there was not going to be any films being made there. So I said the only place to be to make films were the either L.A. or New York. And New York was cold and you know miserable, just like Canada was. Oh, Canada. So how <laughs> Canada gets pretty cold, huh? I, I heard about that in yeah, the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard <clears throat> it gets nasty, terrible. Uh, what was the What was the coldest day you ever felt? Well, my worst memory of Canada is waiting at you know seven six forty five, waiting for the bus to go to high school. It was dark, minus forty. I'm waiting for the bus to take me to the Gulag. And then take me back at four thirty to my house when it's dark, and still minus forty. Oh, yeah. You know, in L.A., like we would just stop everything. Like no, but people when it rains out here, like can can't take it. They yeah, just can't take it. What's gulag for Americans? Gulag. It sounds like a stew. Is, is that a type <laughs> no, of soup? That's, that's not, that gulag is not a stew. That's borscht, man. That borscht is a stew you eat at the gulag. Gulag is a jail. It's the fucking you know, ghetto. It's like the gulag. You get sent to the gulag. So you were you were a bad kid. Bad kid. No, it was a good kid. You're a good Stuck kid. in a bad place. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, then I became movie. a bad kid, and then you know, like, and then there was only one way out. You know, it's either I was gonna end up in jail over there, like all my friends, or I was gonna get out. I had to get out. How how many people were in your town, like the that small town? Twenty some odd thousand people. Was was there a lot of drinking going on up there? Yeah, there it's a biker town. Everybody yeah. fucking my all my friends left high school in tenth grade to go work in the factory. In the town? Yeah. That's all the only reason it was a town basically was the farming and the factory. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I had some friends in Mississippi and uh and they'll if they listen to this they'll they'll know who they are. But they were in Hamilton, Mississippi. Hamilton he was my buddy was born in Tupelo. Where Elvis was born, and then his uh, mom lived there, and then his dad lived in Hamilton. Like I guess they lived there, and then I know there was a divorce. And uh, the one of the big reasons t- Hamilton was a town is because they have a chemical factory there, and everybody got a settlement from them because they were yeah, all they were the, all cancered up. Uh, I don't. I'm not gonna say this is related, but my friends mom got like Crohn's disease yeah, and still, you know. there's a lot of things going on but they all my buddy bought a truck with his he bought it he bought a truck with his money and the truck had cancer <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. truck was being blue smoke <laughs> exactly yeah I, my town was zinc it was uh uh gunpowder Goodyear factory, 
uh, <clears throat> you know, those that type of shit, that and, type of dangerous shit. Sometimes you once every five years, something would blow up. And uh, and everybody's big thing was, hey, let's leave early, go to the factory, and we'll get a girl at like get married at eighteen or even younger. No, 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 no. My town it was fucking, you know, like get getting a biker gang. A biker. That just, was the thing. Just, yeah, it was like quit school. Hold on. In the fucking cold ass motherfucking Canada, yeah, yeah. You, they were no wonder they were all pissed off. Biker, no, no, but in summer, when summer okay. they were all be fucking. You know, there's actually six months of no, not six months, probably four months of some riding time. Did they go on hiatus in the winter? Like, did they yeah, start well, driving know, cars? Like all bikered out and like, dude, like <laughs> Bobby, come on, man. What, dude? They were so hardcore. They'd they would ride as much as they could. And they're all bikers. They're all biker gangs. They're mm-hmm. all fucking. Eventually, the Hell's Angels got in there. What was, oh, so the oh, Hell's yeah, Angels oh, yeah, came oh, up there. Oh, so oh, what oh, was oh, the oh, gang oh, up oh, there oh, originally? The Comanches. Is that they owned the town, or was there yeah. mul- multiple factions? Well, they ran all the dope. They ran all the you know all the like, you know, mostly dope. Mm-hmm. It was all dope. You know, it's a factory town. People want to get high on the weekends. It just fucking everybody got hooked on their little bag of blow, and it wasn't even blow, and it was like you know all that stuff. It was like when when you're in a town like that, and you have and there's the drugs and all that element there. What was there to do that was kind of fun? Well, fuck, man, I had a band, <laughs> and all the druggies, everybody came and see our band. Did you always play slide guitar? No, I like when the first okay. When I first got into music, my brother was playing harmonica. It was pretty good. And I would steal his harmonicas and just practice, you know, blah, 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 blah. Then when I got to be 14, 15, I got into smoking dope. I quit all those, the sports. I was a big sports guy. I quit hockey. I quit lacrosse. I quit, you know, all these fucking sports I was doing because I got tired of, you know, like fighting over my best friends over a puck or a ball or fucking it was like you know I'd be playing hockey against some of my best friends and you know end up in a corner and it'd be like they wouldn't even recognize me their, their eyes would be rolling over just for the puck want the puck here's a puck and puck you can have it you know like so I quit all that and then I started uh, smoking dope and one of the guys I bought my dope from the hash or pot or whatever, I had a bunch of records. And he had them all blues records and, you know, like uh, Muddy Waters and T-Bone Walker and, uh, you know, Lightning Hopkins. And he also had guitars. And he had dope. <laughs> and there was a beer store right next to it. So it's like we started playing music, listening to music together. Roll a joint, listening to this, listening to that, you know. And then we started playing together a bit because I played the harp and he played. He had a slide guitar. And next thing you know, some guy would come in to buy, you know, a dime of hash and he, oh, I play bass. So I'll, next time I bring my bass. And next thing you knew, all this little, you know, like crummy community would just like sit around a kitchen table and start playing. And then we'd listen to the records and go, hi, right, let's play that. Let's play that song. Oh, that's easy. Go fuck three chords. Let's do it. You know? And then we started like that. And we did that for about a year till I was about 16, 17. And at one point, I knew a guy that owned one of the clubs. 
I said, fuck, we'll play here. And he goes, oh, we can't pay you. I said, well, we'll I'll take half the door. We'll charge like three bucks at the door. Uh, I'll take the door and half the, the, the bar bill or whatever. And we, the first time we played, we made like tons of money. We made like two grand for like five of us because the whole town showed up. Hmm. So now every time we played, the whole town would show up. Because it's, you know, and we never really played outside of our little town. And we played all the bars, the different bars, because all the owners would go, oh, I'm going to make money on my place. What was, what was the band called? The band was called, first it was called the Craps Blues Band. And then at one point it became the Kitchen Blues Workshop because we were always playing in the kitchen. All the shit came out of the kitchen. At my buddy's place, the, the guy that sold the dope. <laughs> so we always be sitting around, you know. So, so then it became the Kitchen Blues Workshop. And I did that for a while. And uh, then I started coming out here. To I Los just, Angeles? To where? Well, when I did this, the whole, I was doing that pre-college. Um, that was when I was 16, 17, you know. And then you came here? And at one point I decided that I wanted to make films. Mm -hmm. And I came out here and um, ended up at um, Art Center. On that note, do you do you have an, enough beer? Do you want another beer? Are you no, good? I'm fine. I'm, I'm gonna go grab a beer. Really? Yeah. Is that cool? Well, it's fine. <laughs> Did you want to close it up? I'll go no. take a hit. Yeah. We'll be back after these messages. <laughs> 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 it's a tale that's old as time. You're at work minding your own business. Your cell phone vibrates, and you see an instant message from Rebecca. You haven't seen her since high school. And you wonder, this is random. You're at work, so you decide you're gonna wait until you're off to answer. Your phone vibrates again. It's Rebecca, again. You continue working. Rebecca's blowing you up. You decide to take a short break to quell your curiosity. The message reads, Hey, hon. Smiley face emoji. How is everything? I randomly thought about you and I wanted to reach out. It's been a while. Hmm. Well, this doesn't seem out of the ordinary. The next message reads, I don't know if you're busy or not, shrug emoji, but hit me up when you get the chance. I'd love to reconnect. A hundred emoji three times. Hmm. Lots of emojis for a 34-year-old woman, but whatever. Then finally, fire emoji three times. I have so much to talk about, fire emoji three times. You message her back to end the barrage of salutations as you see another text bubble on her end. Hey Rebecca, long time. I'll hit you up after work. I'm pretty busy, but I'd love to catch up. You notice her text again. You expect a thumbs up emoji after sizing Rebecca up, and then she hits you with, Sure, hun, winky smiley face. Whatever works. Seems like what I have to say will be right up your alley. While at home with three children, I'm also the CEO of my own company. I'm my own boss, and make my own hours. 
all while also having tons of room for Jesus in my life. You'll never have to say no to any of your friends ever again, because you'll be the boss, Shug. A hundred emoji three times. Oh, and I go by Becky now. HMU! Three exclamation points. And there it is. You've been hit by... The Random Old Classmate Pyramid Scheme. Another MLM. Disguised as a friendly out-of-the-blue greeting. These desperate individuals have been suckered into the quote-unquote deal of a lifetime by some other sucker. Their only recourse is to drag every person they know down the drain as well. They read from a fancy script indicating that they are their own boss, that they make their own hours, and that they are not only the owner of the company, but they use the products too, and are seeing magical and almost unbelievable results. They then promise that you could be their partner for a small sum of money, and in return, they send you some product that you, in turn, can sell to all your friends for profit. The items sold are usually some type of cheap lotion, diarrhea tea, makeup, basically fake fountains of youth or magic diets. They are overpriced garbage, and once you start the plan, you end up being riddled with debt. Don't fall into this trap. There is one simple way you can end this vicious cycle. When you get that I am, respond, fuck off, Becky. This message is brought to you by the hardworking, honest, smart, logical people society. We're back again, and we've tried this a few times, and uh, there's been some string changes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't have a level up on my guitar okay. over here, my new, because I, th I've never yeah. used this channel. Okay. I've never gotten this really? far. Yeah. Well, Bobby, you just, like, you know, throwing the curveball at me over here. <laughs> but, Bobby, you sure you're into it? Is that the one you don't like? Third one I don't like. Don't you hate that it. one on your guitar that, too. I know. The fourth one. Hey. Last one's not good either. <laughs> Are you sure? You're, you're deaf. It's beautiful. All right, here we go. Okay. So this is a song from the 1890s that uh, somebody lived the same fate, and it's called uh, "Baby Out of Jail." And it goes like this. One, two, three. Oh, 
about that, Bobby? I thought that was pretty damn cool. <laughs> for just pulling a song out of our ass with broken strings. Yeah, that's, and, right. that's, that's the way we do it. So tell me about you, Bobby. Uh, Enough about me. So you want to know about me? What do you want to well, know about me? Well, but basically, Bobby, you got to you got to try to put yourself in my shoes. Okay? Yeah, you're coming here and opening your no, heart no, up. Hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. You got to go back, fucking before you were born. Oh, you want to know that? No, no, but I'm trying to put yourself in my situation I got here. You. Put yourself in my shoes. All right, all right. Imagine, okay. Before you were born. Mm-hmm. I came out to L.A. way before you were born. You were born in what year? 1983. 83, okay. Well, uh, 15 years before you were born, I came out to L.A. with a guitar and a suitcase to try to, you know, like, I could barely speak English. I learned English from Bugs Bunny and Fred Flintstone. That's where my mom learned English, oh, I think. There we go. Well, what? she learned Spanish from all comic Sesame books. Sesame Street. <laughs> she did comic books, you know. So, basically, and then I went to school, and then I uh, got myself in school. I paid for myself, blah, blah, blah. My parents didn't have any money, so I had to go back and, blah, you know, go back to Canada and work, come back and work, come back. And... Uh, so by the time you were born, you were born eighty three. Yeah, and I was born. My mom was a teenager. She was barely, maybe, nineteen sixty nine was when she was born. She had me as a teenager. So your my mom, dad was pretty young too. So your mom's like ten years younger than my than I am. She's not even fifty yet. She's okay. gonna turn fifty. This this is her fiftieth year. Well, like I don't even think she wants to celebrate though. <laughs> well, I want, I'd like to meet her. She, well, we'll see if she she might be up, even though it's late. It's just so you know, it's it's ten twenty five. We were doing this late. We did a job. Me and John did a job together, and then we were today. like, we. I was like, I might be working tomorrow. Our schedules are mixing up, and I was like, dude, you need to just come over. So he just came over. You know, by the way, so you said you want to know. Yeah, I want to know about you, because basically, you know, like I found out about you. So to go back to what I was talking about, so I started directing. Yeah. Right, so I was, I was directing. By the time you were born, I was directing music videos for MTV. When did you start? Eight, 1984. That's when you started. So I was about a year old when you yeah, started. Exactly. And who were you doing this with? I was doing this with uh, Wayne Isham. So how the hell did you meet Wayne Isham? Wayne, I replaced Wayne Isham at... Uh, at a production, big production company that was run by a Jewish lawyer named Jerry Kramer. And Jerry Kramer went to law school with Jeff Aroff. Jeff Aroff was an executive at Warner Brothers Records, and there was a new media coming out called Music Videos. So Jeff Aroff and his buddy, Jerry Kramer, both Jewish lawyers, were fucking raking in on the dough. One was working at Warner Brothers, and the other one had the production company. And they would commission videos, and they would fucking stick money in their pockets like there was no tomorrow, and they were ripping off a young, upcoming filmmaker. As as as, as they've been doing, all, all of those executives exactly. have been doing. So basically, Wayne Isham was one of those early ones. 
that got ripped off by Jerry Kramer. And oh, this is the greatest fucking story ever. <laughs> At one point, I was I made a music video for my band in Art Center in 1983. And it was called The Laundromat Blues and had all these weird camera tricks that I had. I made camera tricks where I did like the camera inside of a dryer, or, uh, you know, like a a clothes dryer. And all my friends, the creative friends, had came up with the ways to do it. I had the camera, a Bolex, which is a crank camera on a swivel, mounted on a swivel, so I could turn it like, like, you know, 360. And in front of that, I put a barrel that I'd cut halfway through that was mounted on the four-wheel dolly back upside down corrugated iron barrel and I put some clothes in there so it was like the shot inside of a dryer looking out to people that were looking into the dryer to see if their clothes were dry and it was all this weird old fucking like uh, incredible which video was this that was for a video you can find on YouTube called Laundromat Blues and who, who was this that was our band at the time. That was you guys. Yeah, that and was. So you did that for you. Guys. Yeah, for our own band. And that's incredible. And the band was called Bag of Snakes. Okay, and these were. In, this is in L.A. This is in L.A. At, out of Art Center. Wow. And, and that's on YouTube. Yeah, that's on YouTube. It's really fucking crazy, black and white. It's me and all my school buddies. And was this a project for film? It was for my school? Film, it was my my thesis or whatever. My you know like back in nineteen eighty late eighty three. Where did you record the music at? The music was recorded at the a big studio because at that time I was still involved with the drug people that I was involved in the seventies and eighties. As it happens sometimes. Yeah, and they were in town, and I did them a big favor. And they gave me the money to go in the studio, the thousand bucks it cost to go in the studio. I think we went on Crystal Studio, which was on uh, Vine in near Santa Monica. Can't remember. Yeah, we did that Crystal. This is like, fuck, we're talking about like 81, 82, whatever. And that. I took that around. That got the intention, the uh, attention of a few people, because it was so innovative. Because you know the dryer shot, and I had all these really weird. My thing at the time was to try to get all the weirdest camera tricks. You, you know, like how the fuck they do that? How's that? And that's the first thing the guy that hired me, that guy Kramer, hired me and said, like, you looked at the shot and analyzed the shot, and he said. Do you know how much it would cost me to do that? I go, no. He goes, how did you do that? I said, I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> Good shit. <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out. <laughs> and then he hired me. Good. And then after the first video I did, he like, literally fucking fucked me. He fucked you. Oh, big time. It was like, but I didn't find out. I was replacing Another guy that he'd fucked before. <laughs> and that guy that he'd fucked before was Wayne Isham. Mm-hmm. So he fucked Isham without wanting to pay him 
so he could keep pocket the money. And they found another sucker. That's you. That was me. <laughs> and I, when I was meeting with him for the first time, and he was telling me that I was the greatest fucking thing in Hollywood, Isham walked in, mm-hmm. fucking blaring and demanding his money. And he looked at Kramer and he said, if you fucking don't give me my money, I'm going to throw this big old fucking VCR through the fucking window. And I'm just sitting there, a little kid out of school, I'm going, I'm looking at this blonde hair Viking going, holy fuck, who's that guy? I want to, I want to know that guy. That's, that, <laughs> that was my introduction to Isham. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, when Kramer fucked me, <laughs> I somebody else asked me to go. He said, you should go meet with these guys that they started a new company called The Company. And I went to meet this guy named Kurt Morris. And as I walked into his office, there was that blonde Viking guy. He was now a partner with that guy. And I walked in, I go, Dude, I know you. I go, you're the guy that fucking, you know, threatened to toss Kramer's shit out the window. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I remember. So it turned out we both had been fucked by Kramer. Did So Kramer didn't pay you either? No. What a piece of shit. He's a fucking dog. You, and you couldn't sue him or nothing? Oh, fuck, I was 21. He had, the, you know, he's a Jewish lawyer from Harvard, <clears throat> friends with Jeff Aroff. What do I want to do with him? And what? he gave me the, you'll never work in this town again. When I confronted him, that's the whole thing. You know, at one point, people came up to me, and the people that worked with him, again, how much did Jerry give you? Nothing. I go, fuck, man, he gave me a thousand bucks. Oh. He goes, well, dude, he's supposed to give you eight thousand bucks. And I confronted him, going, oh, these people tell me you're supposed to give me this. He goes, oh, dude, you fucking talk to me this way. And you'll, you'll never. Literally, six months after I graduated from school, I got the talk, you'll never work in this town again. Well, you'll just never work for him again, and that's you're better off. Yeah, but Jerry Kramer in the fucking, you know, in the mid-'80s was the yeah. king. Whatever happened to him? Did people finally, like, wise up or what? No, fuck, man. We live in the Trump era. All these fuckers are just getting richer and richer. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, fucking, where's Jeff Aroff right now? Well, he's probably in Malibu sitting on a fucking $20 million estate. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Did you, uh, so when, uh, when you went back to Wayne Isham, when you went and were meeting uh-huh. with him, who was he with? Who was his other partner? Kurt Marvis. And that was the other guy who was partners with Kramer. Yeah. No, 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 no. He was in partner with Kramer. That, Kurt Morris was totally, was a kid out of UCLA, uh, was uh, like a really fucking gung-ho, want to make films, like really, like, and put the team together. What year was that that you met Wayne Isham and Kurt Marvis? 1984. 1984. Yeah. And that's when you started that's making the what, videos. That's when I started working. We started a company called The Company. It was, well, that's great, creative. <laughs> no, but that's easy. And so, and and so, Marvis was the producer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Aisha, Aisha was, was the, the director. The main whore. He was the main whore. Wait. He was the main director. And you were the camera operator. I was. I worked camera for them as well as DP. I, or? I worked. No, no, I was never a DP. I worked camera operator because we were doing a lot of concerts. You need fucking twelve cameras. Mm-hmm. 
I was a stage guy. I was always, give me a big wide lens. I'll go on stage. I'll fucking get underneath, get the big rock shot. And rock you, God. Yeah. And you also directed stuff at these times and, later, Well, too. the thing is, when Isham had Overflow, he would pass it on to me. That's badass. So when Isham knew when Dawkins came up to Isham and said, we want to do a video, Isham was busy doing something bigger. He'd go, like, I got my little whore here. <laughs> So Aisham was the big whore. I was the little whore. So what was the first video that you worked on with under their umbrella? Uh, Dockin. That was the first one. That was the first one you did and directed. Yeah. So that was the first thing you did. Oh no, I I did some stuff under Kramer. Yeah. So well, but no, forget Kramer. I'm saying when you first in 1984 and you were working with with uh, what was it, Mark? Kurt Marvis. Marvis and and Aisham. and Aisham. The first thing you did was direct a Dockin video. Yeah. So he's so immediately he's like, "Hey, I'm busy. I'm going to give it to you immediately." Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. And then okay. <laughs> How, then I got friends with Don Dawkins. Yeah. Was George Lynch the guitar yeah, player? Yeah, George Lynch was amazing. Oh yeah. You know he's been playing. But we're going to go back to this. He he he's been playing with uh, Angelo from Fishbone. You know wow, Fishbone. Wow, They've been doing a little things together. George Lynch <laughs> is truly uh like innovator in the of the guitar oh, he's yeah. always been and he's always been under the fucking dark cloud of shadow or shadow of Dawkin. Mm. but he's been he's a classical train oh yeah he's just he's insane spanish guitar well he's classical. a hero he's, 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 uh, george lynch i've known his wife i've known his kids i hung out with george i love george i haven't seen him in years but he still has a jacket of mine no you know what i mean <laughs> No, but I mean, like, I then directed George. I worked with George also when he had the Lynch Mob. Oh, I was just gonna say. I see. I liked, <clears throat> I liked him in Doc, and I liked him in Lynch Mob. I followed him because he was a guitar hero of mine. Because his his licks were so George, clean. He was always so good. George, I, he was underrated to me. I, George has always been underrated. Him, uh, Neil Sean was always. Uh, I worked with Neil as yeah, well. He's one of. I, I was like. Always underrated because when I saw him play with ever when they did big super groups, yeah, he used to blow all those dudes out of the I water. Know. Neil Sean was like always been like a yeah. he's this, and plus these guys are kind of weird, but they're nice guys. They're nice guys, but they're they're whack. They're you know weird, but they're really cool guys. How long? Uh, so how long did that run go? I work with Aisham uh, and Marvis. They're I still consider them the, my best friends. Yeah. In my life. In fact, shit. <laughs> Are you supposed to call him? No, I was supposed to <laughs> go move br- him tomorrow. Oh, Fine. well, then you can. Shit. See, that's good that we did this now. What time do you have to be there? You know, it might have been today. Oh, my God, you forgetful fuck. Well, he would have texted you, wouldn't he? Yeah, but I had to work today with you. Well, you didn't have... Well, you sort of had to. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Crap. Well, that, well, it's good. <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow morning, just text him in the morning. Yeah, definitely. And just make sure you don't have to... That's hilarious. Yeah. It's okay. I'm sure you were going to help him move? Yeah. Where's he moving to? <laughs> you don't have to... Uh, let's not go there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, um, sorry, dude. It's okay. I love you. So Sorry, Wayne. I start. I started with Dawkins. Yeah, and, and the, then they moved on to uh, all other bands. Name name a list of bands that you guys uh, did videos for. <sighs> Dawkins started with Dawkins, and then it moved on to uh, Def Leppard. 
the new album, Mysteria. I did Pretty Maids. I did Skid Row. Uh, Sebastian first, Bach. Yeah, so Mads. you spent a lot of time at the uh, Rainbow Bar and Grill. Of course, that was my fishing. <laughs> That's where I got all my gigs. Yeah, I did all kinds of fucking bands, all kinds of new bands, all kinds of Metallica. Which Metallica did you do? I did the very first. That was funny, funny. I made the very first home video for Metallica. <coughs> Metallica was a band that did not want to do videos. We're talking about mid-80s, all the posers, all the big hair bands. I'm working with Doc, and I'm working with, you know, like... And Metallica didn't want to have anything to do with them. I, I remember that those old videos... They're old now. <laughs> but I remember uh, looking at all those old videos... Uh, a lot of them was like the band was set up like almost like they had their own stage like right mm -hmm. and that and that would be based all the shots would be based around them on that stage that's how it all started yeah. in the beginning yeah <clears throat> then eventually i remember in the 80s they would build the elaborate like truss setups they started getting a little bit yeah, more elaborate they, yeah do you remember i don't know if you remember what some of the, like the early music videos that actually would have... I remember... Uh, what's her face? Oh, dude. The videos were happening in the 70s, right? No. They weren't? No. What about what's her face? Uh, Blondie. <coughs> well, they, they were film. They were film, filming performances. But MTV started in 82, 83. Oh, so you say, oh, so we, we, what you're saying is that it, that is when it blew up. Yeah, because they, because, and that's when because And that's when... Because they were making videos and stuff like that, but there was no... There was no outlet. Yeah. MTV was the outlet. That's when MTV started in 82, I graduated Art Center in 84. So I was right in the middle of that whole MTV revolution and the whole, you know, like, entertainment of, you know, watching TV, music videos, type of shit. It was like the explosion. And I was, like, right there at the right time, and I was a musician, and I knew bands, and I did, you know, had my little video I did for my band, and it was like, you know, it was just, next thing I knew, I was making videos. What was the the hardest video you ever worked on? I don't know. Because <laughs> I remember, because I, as an art department guy, because that's actually how I know you now, I, but I, the, the, one of the hardest, I remember all of my hardest jobs. <laughs> oh yeah i remember all my longest job okay you know, like, what's the I longest because music videos have a history of, of being I, I, ridiculously I, long the, on the second poison video which was i want action because i did the first one that put him on the chart and given a platinum album called uh talk dirty to me <laughs> the next one was i want action which is you know shows you where, where the minds was at that time uh, it was 20, about 30 hours. 30-hour huh. day. That was the longest day, 30-hour day. 30? 30-hour 30 day, yeah. Did you get a nap? No, I got lots of good cocaine. <laughs> I heard about that. Didn't they have people with trays going around? No, no, no. That was <laughs> not, no. We were more discreet. But you know, uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> you know the guy Claudio that got won the uh, Academy Award for Pi? Mm -hmm. Well, that guy was managing the stage at SIR. 
He was a stage manager before he even got a camera assistant or being camera operator or being like a DP. He was managing. And we would like come up to him and go, dude, we gotta be here for another fucking 10 hours. Here's a big bag of blow. <laughs> and it's like whoever's gonna hire to, you know, give him some too or. Yeah, it was like that in that era. We're talking about mid eighties. Now, besides getting those that bump, did you get a bump in salary if you had to work that many hours? Oh fuck no! No. Oh fuck no! There was no. It was like you know the days of just get it done and and we all thought we were like innovators and you know we just gonna fucking turn the world upside down and just we got to you know and plus the thing it was like. At one point, those videos were a performance, but then we add, started added storylines. That's what I was going to ask you. When did that happen? That happened in the mid-80s, mid to late-80s. Do you remember any video in particular where, uh, when, the, the, when you first started doing storylines? What, what kind of started it all? Well, that, that was the band. The band wanted the... You, you mean know, the wait? The, when they did the wait? The, the movie, the no, band? No, 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 the bands wanted, <laughs> Oh, the bands. You know, like, didn't want just, like, they wanted some kind of story. Because like I remember whatever. Scorsese did, uh, he did the band, the wait, the, or not the wait, but uh, he filmed the band yeah, with that, all that the... that was in fucking 76. Right? Dude. But that was a movie. <laughs> exactly. It was, yeah, it was kind of a music video. Yeah. It was live performance. Yeah, another live but performance. With live music videos, they, you know, you can involve personal storylines a lot of these rockers wanted to you know like live out storylines and be the the good guy a lot of these rockers wanted to be movie stars yeah you know all of a sudden you you know you get involved in the storyline with don Dawkin trying to fucking play the lead guy and he's fucking you, you know, know uh, can't play a tomato a lot of that's happening now because the music industry has been changing so much like it's it's a lot harder to make money as a musician. You know, it really sucks, in my opinion, too, because you have these bands that create this music, and they, they're, you know, it's their original stuff, uh. and it's the stuff that gets popular. And then in the past, they've always, they get, what, 10 cents on the dollar, when, and then all the other pans get in the pots, right? Uh. And then they used to make their money on their merchandise and, yeah, and whatnot. More like one cent on the dollar. Right? <laughs> yeah. So if you're lucky, the, certain people started getting better at business, but then they got better at swindling. So then they now, then they start, they're taking the merchandise too now, the big record companies. Really? <laughs> yeah. And then, because when, when digital started, it's a lot easier to share music illegally uh, and so bands are not making as much in their sales as they can because a lot of people steal music. And then there's now streaming services like Spotify, iTunes. They don't pay shit. And you, you can play like a million, like one song a million times, yeah, and they well, only get like two bucks. Hey, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know I wish I would have made money with music because yeah. I've been playing all my life. Yeah. But I know I never will. Yeah. Well, no, so, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, but you know, it's not my aim. It's not <laughs> well, my aim. Anyway. But well, what I'm saying too is that there's a lot. Look at all the artists, and 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 they're good, I think, because to be an artist, you kind of have to, you kind of have to be an actor. You ha you're playing a part, even even if it's you. You when you go on stage, you have to, per, you have to be on in well, a way. See, there you're an actor or an entertainer. Yeah. Well, but I'm just saying there, there's a lot of people who are being actors 
on top of it as well. Like, look at today. Who did we have today? We had Kelly Clarkson. And she, you saw how she acted. Like, she, she was killing it. Like, she did her lines, one take, and boom. I wasn't there. I was outside. Oh, I was in there. So, but I'm just saying they're all doing almost anything but music. Look, they're on The Voice. They're sitting in the chair, and they're judging other people who want to be big. You have them acting in movies. You have, look at Lady Gaga. She made that movie, and she was up for an Oscar. You know, like yeah, but Bobby, I don't give a fuck about any of these people. <laughs> no, I know, but what I'm saying is that, but that, like the, what you were saying, like things changing, and they want to make storylines, and they want to act. They've yeah. always wanted to act, but of now course. it seems some like some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them. Yeah, Don Dockett sucked. <laughs> what, what was his storyline? Don Dawkins was, uh, I I liked Don, but he was like a you know control freak. But he was also the guy that was like the singing for the for the earring impaired. Oh, <laughs> you know he would always go like, "My heart burns for you." You know he'd be like mimicking with his fucking hands and and gestures his words. Where he was just go like my head hurts or like, like I had to tie the fucker's hands down. You go, dude, you look like a fucking idiot trying to mimicking all the words you're saying. We hear the words you're saying. You don't have to mimicking with your hands. Yeah, you go, my heart burns for you. You're like, dude, what the fuck's wrong with you? Anyway, Don Dawkins was my introduction to the world of music video. Don Dawkins. Don Dawkins. I've seen him a few times over at the the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Of course, I've been there a million times. That was, uh, I mean, I started going, I have a picture uh, with me and Lemmy when I was. Uh, really? Lemmy, uh, Lemmy was my good friend. I, I, I don't know if this, this won't get me in trouble, I don't think, but I was 20 years old, <laughs> even though I was supposed to be 21. I actually, they think the first time I went in there, I was 14. <laughs> Fuck, and, you know, uh, Anthony Kiedis and Flea had been there when they were 13 and 15 yeah. and puked all over the floor oh. and got kicked out. No, on honestly, uh, honestly, I never really drank a lot because, well, there's a few reasons. Uh, well, Bobby, don't listen No, I'm not lying. No, 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 no. There's one of the reasons was uh, even if I had a half of a beer, if I got home and my mom smelled it, she'd fucking say, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like she could smell it. Like really? oh, and it, it. So it wasn't worth hearing her complain. Bobby, you had to get wise, and while you was walking home, well, look for for dog shit on the sidewalk and put on my shoes. No, put a little bit in your mouth. Oh, is that what you did? And then, no, and I used a gasoline <laughs> truck. Oh my God, it smells like gasoline. Well, I had to pull up the. You know. Well, here's it, the deal. I know ways. I, I'm sure there is, but either way, I was Bubba always I was always worked. pretty clean, dude. I I'm not just saying this for because I'm talking on this thing, but I, I actually was always pretty clean. Like when I went out, I never really did anything. I never, really? yeah, I never did anything, nothing. Like, really? yeah, I, I'm dead serious. You don't have you to be laughing. Pieces. No, I'm dead serious. You can even ask people when I was in high oh, school. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm gonna find those people. No, you will, dude. I'm telling, dude. I'm telling you. I never really. I, dude. I've been to. <laughs> Bobby, I'm not, dude. On. There's no, dude. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for me to lie, dude. <laughs> no, listen to me, dude. No, listen. Hey, shut up, fool. 
No, listen, I would go and I would and I would play my music and then I would go in there. Now I went in there, I'd lie about my age, but you know why? Because when I was at fourteen, I was six one to twelve. I was a big dude. And then they'd go like this, they'd go like ID and I'd be like, Oh shit. I don't know, I don't have my wallet. And then they'd be like, When were you born? Nineteen seventy nine. But but when I but that's what I'd have to say. That's what I'd have to say. So but no, but when I went into these places, I never got crazy. I never did. I dude, I've never to this day. I've never done coke once. Never done coke. I've never done mushrooms. Hey, you're not missing out on anything, Bobby. Well, well I know, but and uh, it's you just, ever had sex? Well, I'm it's kind <laughs> of fun. You try that one. <laughs> but one day, okay. <laughs> no, well, you get married soon. Hopefully, October. Never had drugs. Never had a lot of beer. Never well, I'm ever. having beer right oh, now. Have you ever tried sex? It's kind of fun. <laughs> Masturbation. Well, that's against Catholic Catholic religion. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm not going to win Altar Boy of the Year. Were you an Altar Boy? Yes, I was. Are you serious? Yes, I was. Till I figured out how to steal the money from the stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And then they found out and you got kicked out? No, they never found me out. Until now? I I didn't get the money. (laughs) I stole a couple of bottles of wine, though. The cheap fucking fruit wine? It's like fruit. Whatever they got, man. I was 12 years old. I didn't care. Couldn't get the money. I was going to get something. I wasn't going to come out of there with nothing. Yeah. So how how long did that whole music video thing last? When did it When did it stop for you? It stops and it stopped in um, early 90s. Actually, it stopped in it stopped around. Because the whole thing was turned into, uh, the whole music changed. Everything changed. Uh, heavy metal that was like drool in the airwaves and on MTV for 10 years. Wayne, Wayne did, he did Pantera, you said too, right? We did Pantera, we did Stones, we did Bon Jovi, we did Motley Crue, we so, did fucking, you know, like everything. So in the 90s when you say things changed and there was heavy metal. Grunge, grunge came in. So, what, oh, well, you know, <laughs> my buddy was in that era. He, his name's Troy Smith. And he started with Pearl Jam in yeah, Seattle. Yeah. He did their first three videos, director of photography. That's how he got. In. So you're saying the grunge, grunge music took over. Cr- but so why didn't you guys do grunge? Because it was the up there. And the grungers would not work with anybody. The but, grungers and the uh, the big hair were enemies. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. They were dead. Fucking. They were enemies. So no grunge, no no metal directors crossed over to do grunge. Very few of them did, because no grunge guys would work with those heavy metal directors. Because in my grunge is when I started playing guitar. When Kurt Cobain died, my friend brought a guitar to school. Kurt Cobain died in fucking two thousand one. No, uh, no fool. Ninety one. Ninety four. Because like, grunge came in big, <clears throat> Pearl Jam and all these guys, Mother 90, Love Born. 92, 91. 91. So, 91. 91. So in 94, Kurt Cobain, I heard, I was hearing stuff on the radio, but it wasn't really clicking to me because I was into 80s metal in that time. Mm-hmm. But I grew up on Led Zeppelin. Well, I grew up on Led Zeppelin <clears throat> and I grew up on, 
What else did I listen to? Besides K Earth One Hundred One, I did the oldies. But I grew up on Led Zeppelin, and then Stones. yeah, and the Beatles. Stones, Beatles, Led and Zeppelin. The, and but then I got into my dad loved Dio, my mom uh, loved Dio, and they loved Ro- Judas Priest. Judas Priest, we did a lot of work with those. My first album from Judas Priest was Defenders of the Faith, and it's still to my to this day my favorite album. Really, yeah, Defenders of oh, the you're Faith. You're a big Priest fan. <laughs> I, I, oh, I love, dude, Rob Halford live back in the early 80s. There was something sp- oh, yeah. so special. We filmed, we filmed them the, in Texas. The, one of my favorite shows of theirs, oh, where was that? It, it, I, I saw one online. It was that tour, the Defenders of the Faith tour. Um, I love to go on a roll. Yeah, yeah. I love Dio. I love, uh, and then I loved... Uh, Sabbath and Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes was a big. There was a, that was a turning point for music for me. Um, but I, <clears throat> so I loved all that stuff. Then Kurt Cobain died, and my friend brought a guitar to school. Now I'd always sing in choir, and I had piano at home, and I always was really rhythmic, like when I listened to the music. And when he brought the guitar to school, and and people really took to it, I was like, I want to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. My mom, uh, she got me a guitar. And I started taking lessons. I was 11. It was a February. And then when the summer came, I played, I, I hit it, I, the blues. I remember I got into Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Uh, the, my fir- one of my first CDs that I got, my first five CDs, I copied my friend, that same guy oh, yeah. with the guitar. Led Zeppelin 1, 2, 3. Yeah. The Beavis and Butthead Experience. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, and then, <clears throat> and then, uh, on the Led Zeppelin one two three the Beavis and Butt Experience and Jimi Hendrix Live at Woodstock were my first five oh, CDs. That's pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> Jimmy, that album, the Live at Woodstock, changed my direction of music. But also, uh, when Kurt Cobain died, I was getting into Nirvana again because he was. I didn't really love the way Kurt's voice sounded when I first heard it, and then, and then it t- acquired. But then I got into Soundgarden. Chris Cornell. Cornell is Chris Cornell. In my view, was the best lead man singer in the last thirty years. Oh yeah, so I love them the most. And then it was amazing. Allison Chains, Lane Stanley, and uh, then uh, I like do uh, they? I love the I love uh, what uh, what they do with their harmonies. And then well, I what's his face? Fucking you know what's his face? Jerry my Cantrell. Friend. Yeah, Cantrell's my friend. <clears throat> Yeah, I uh, control personally, and, and I love I like I love them. They, they, I'm saying that that was yeah. my generation because I was a kid in the '90s, and I got yeah. into them because my buddy brought the guitar to school, and that changed my direction. And then rhythmically too, like Soundgarden, uh, Matt Cameron on drums was like yeah. they were doing yeah. funky. Yeah. Uh, there was like Kale, groovy Kale rhythms, and, were good. Yeah. and then um, I also liked uh, Stone Temple Pilots, even though they were more commercial, but they still they had a really cool new sound to me. Me. The De Leon brothers were, they were good. And I met the drummer at Ikea <laughs> when I was on a job. Blondie? Yeah, uh, as Eric. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric Kretz. So I met him at the, I met him there. Uh, I was doing a job and I recognized him because I used to look at the album covers and I love art, the album arts. So I was, I was, I was looking at him and I was like, he looks familiar. And I went to go to the bathroom and then I came back out and he's still there. And I was like, that's not the guy from Stone Temple Pilots at Ikea. And then I walked by the door and he was going to come out and I looked at him up on the phone and then I was like, 
Bobby Starstruck. Well, not well. I would not. Nah. Starfucker. No, nah, well, I just was like, "Are you Eric Kratz?" And he's like, "Yeah, dude." But check out this story, though. I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." I was like, "Stone Temple Pilots." He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Hey, let me get a picture." So I took a picture with him, and then we were talking, and I was like, "Starfucker." Hold on, dude. <laughs> I said, <laughs> "I said, are you are you are you going to play again?" And he goes, "Oh, we're going to do a twentieth anniversary tour." And I said, "Huh." I said I just heard Scott Wayland on the air, the radio on the way here, that said he's gonna do a tour with Velvet Revolver, and then he goes that fucker. <laughs> I said I'm sorry, dude. He left, and then that year, that year is when he died. That year is when Scott Wayland died of a heroin overdose. That was the problem with with uh, with grunge rock. All those heroin. They were all in heroin. Yeah, man. they were all on drunk. Some of them, you know, like some of them did better than others, but you know, you never know. If you're a junkie. So when you got out of uh when you got out of the music video business, like what happened? How did how did the very, what what was the very end? It's pretty crazy. I started doing stuff in the 90s. I went to Nashville, I did a couple of things in Nashville. I liked Nashville cuz I liked that type of music. But it never really panned out. I did a couple of things for Alison Krauss, which I love. She was so amazing. And all of a sudden, uh, my wife had a kid. I'd been married for over almost 10 years. And all of a sudden, we had a kid. And my wife was working at the Getty. And uh, she, she had, all of a sudden, she had the instant, you know, the income. And so from 93 to 96, 97, I became Mr. Mom. I just gave up my whole fucking, you know, like, it was over. And I, I was just Mr. Mom. At first I was freaking out, going, well, my career, blah, 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 I'm a filmmaker, blah, blah, blah. And, and my wife went back to work after three months I was like, hey, dude, that's your job right now. You gotta take care of a kid. You gotta change the diaper. You gotta fucking feed her. You gotta fucking pump at night. Give her, you know, it was not formula. It was like breast milk, and you know, they got the whole fucking thing, the whole fucking schedule going. This is this is your job now. For the next two, three years, well, you yeah. ain't going anywhere. You ain't it's, taking trips. You ain't fucking, you know, you ain't, you know, you did, you know. Was that the only kid you had? Yeah. How old is your kid now? 26. 26. Oh, it's a girl? Yeah. What does she do? She's doing her master's at pa Parsons in New York, when's your most fucking, uh, you know, like, snottiest school in uh, New York. Okay. What do they study there? Parsons is an art. Very, you know, prestigious art university. Yeah, she's studying fine arts photography. Great. Well, she's she's kicking ass. She's yeah, doing good. and she's also in an age where, again, they're not going to make you work the long hours without paying you, right? Oh, I don't know, man. She's working long hours just to pay for her shit because she's, <clears throat> you know, she's like she was. She got grants and blah blah blah. Because you know, obviously, I'm not in a position of buying anybody a fucking Cadillac. Yeah, but you know she's she's yeah doing good. So when she when you were doing the mom stuff, home the homemaker stuff, uh, and then she got old enough, 
I know you you're doing art department stuff now. No, 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 no. After that, I, I went. Oh, there's born. more. I took. I took uh, three years, three four years to just be with her, and then I started making short films because I wanted to get into movie making because I I directed you know, rock star or whatever. So was this like you were producing them? Like you were writing them, producing them? Yeah, I did write, produce, and I had my best friend was my partner, the guy I went to school with. That was, you know, I had a camera. We could make films together, so we made short films. Did any of these films go to, like, Sundance or Cannes? And- uh, I took him there. I, uh, uh, You know, that's fun. It's a fun thing, but when you make a short film, just to uh, make a short film in itself is a feast. You know, just like, you know, it takes a lot of time, money, film, blah, 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 people, actors. You know. By the time you're done, just to involve them in film festival, well, it's a hundred bucks a pop. So I took it to, you know, to can it myself because I knew some people out there and I hustled. And next thing I knew, I got interest from people that, at that time was they were making film in Canada. And if you had Canadian crew, the government paid thirty five percent of your crew cost. So all of a sudden I'm a s I'm a Canadian guy. I've been living in LA for twenty years, but I'm still Canadian. I have an address in Canada because my parents still live there. So therefore I qualify as a Canadian filmmaker. So then I got I started making feature films. In Canada. In Canada. What's in Vancouver? In Montreal. Oh, in Montreal? You went back just in Montreal? Yeah. Great. My first feature film was with uh, uh, the kid from uh, Free Willy, Jason Rector. Hmm. And I had Mark Hamill. I love Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill from Star Wars. Oh, yeah, but and the Joker. He was the voice of the Joker. Exactly. It, arguably, in my opinion, the best Joker voice ever. Yeah. And uh, and I did that, and then I did another film, a couple other films in Canada, and then came back in L.A., did a couple of films in L.A. with Rob Lowe, Joe Mantegna. <laughs> uh, I love Joe Mantegna. Sure. He's a fucking beautiful human being. But anyway, so I did, I started making movies. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, You know, directing feature and films. Did, and so... But not uh, and some of them did you were you writing as well or no? No, it was all all other writers. I was a gun for hire. And living it up again. <laughs> not living it up. I wasn't making big bucks, but at least I was directing films. I was making films. Yeah. And I was good with crew, and I was good with actors, and I was you know people respected my integrity, and it was like you know we're all working together for so a good cause. Except that the producer back then, you know, the films were already sold. They didn't give a fuck. They just wanted to save money and just, like, get whores and whatever. You know, that's what producers do. Did you do all these films under your own name, or did you have a pen name? Or is No, it, it was under my name. Jean yeah, Pelleron. Yeah, it's under IMDb. You can look it up. Sure. I'm, I'm all over the place. That's amazing, dude. And here, it, it's like, and the story of how we met, well, the thing is, then okay. Well, hold on. No, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. I was just saying that how we met. It's it's just crazy because, so I do art department. I do on set dressing. I do regular set dressing. And for those who don't know, it's basically putting everything in front of the camera that the camera sees. 
and I work with a friend of ours that's a lead man, and we work for a lady, Marcel, who's an incredible production designer. And uh, and the first time I met John was on this backbreaking, fucked up job. In was that in Thousand Oaks? Was the first time I met you? I can't remember. I think no, no, no. I'm saying it was Thousand Oaks. I can't remember. That was no. That was the first time, and and it was a. it was it was just what job was it? it we were know. climbing up a hill and there were the, the oh my god <laughs> and there was the, all the confetti and oh the, my god and it oh went all late nights and then yeah. we'd have to drive home. That's the first time I met you. I think that was the first time I met you and I heard about and I saw you and I was, who the fuck is this John guy? <laughs> but and and I saw you you were speaking French to Marcel and I was like oh they're buddies you know oh, fuck. and then it's and probably then, her fucking no, her, her brown nose buddy yeah that's what it's. First thing I thought, and then I was like, "That's how I met you." And then, and then Landon's like, "Dude, Jean ain't no joke. He's he's fucking done crazy, amazing shit." And, and then uh, we did a few more fucking bullshit. They're great jobs, but they're really hard. And we were always like carrying heavy things up hills, and and then in um, the dark. Recently, we did a job, and Jean was like, "I'm going to go play at this place called the Yacht Club." And we're gonna play bluegrass. And he goes, check out this video. And I checked out the video, and it was like, I can I sit in with you guys? And and you, you were like, fuck yeah, go ahead. I don't care. Let's do it. And and and, and but I knew inside you were like, uh, he's gonna suck or something. And I was I, like, I, okay, I didn't know what to expect. Bob. As usual, as you shouldn't. But I love, I love bluegrass and I love blues and I love playing and I love playing out and I love playing cool places. So he said he's playing at this really cool little place. Uh, and we went and, and we went and played, and, and we practiced the in the afternoon. Oh, we had a little thing to. It was a test to see if exactly. I could if I Bob could play something. Cut the cake. <laughs> <laughs> and and we went and then we went and ate good food and together. Could. And we went and ate good food, but it was fun. There was a piano player from Seattle. Uh, his name. Hold on, don't tell me his name. No, no, no don't say his name oh, because it's, it's a Chris Tucker. <laughs> That's but he's right. but he's Chris he's a white guy. <laughs> Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. He's a bartender in Seattle, Young. and and he but and he plays like parlor piano, like boogie woogie. He's boogie. really cool. And he looked over when we did one song, and he goes, "Hey, all right." And then the who is your Australian lead guitar? Tom. Tom. And he was like, "Fuck you, Bobby." <laughs> <laughs> and, but I said, "I'll play. I can back off. I can play whatever." But John kept looking back every time there was a solo. He's like, "Hey, you go now." <laughs> we would, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. No, but we did. We did, it was really cool. It's a really cool spot, and we went and we played, and uh, and and that's when we really, I think, we connected as music connects people. Yeah, yeah of course. Because I was saying like. One thing I love about music, and I th- I said this at this last podcast that I did uh, where I interviewed my friend's dad, is you can go anywhere in the world in a cave in, in Afghanistan, and hopefully you can play the music there. But you can play, you can talk to anybody. Bobby, that's what I've done the last couple times where yeah. I travel. I I always travel with a guitar, and and you always now is no matter what, even except for maybe the time when you were chilling with your daughter and stuff. But were you always playing in bands? Were you always playing music? I always played music, but not necessarily. I've always played with the same people. You st- to this day. Yeah, to this. Even day. those dudes. Yeah. I mean, there's a few new faces. Always yeah. pe- people go in and out. Yeah, but it's always been the same core of people. For the last thirty years, 
30, 35 years. And it's been the same in Canada before I moved in. Before I moved to L.A., I've been playing with the same people for, you know, and whenever I go back to, to Canada, I still play with the same people. So uh, besides that Yacht Club place, uh, what are some other places that you like to play at? We used to play, this is pretty funny, I met uh, met these guys, the two main guys that I've been playing for a long time. I met them at Smalls. Is, Smalls. This is in L.A.? Smalls was a bar that was a very famous bar on Melrose and Gower, where Gower plows in the Melrose. That was there, and that's where I met all these guys in 1991. When did did that place close down, I assume? 1996. That's when it closed down? Seven, six or seven, yeah. Yeah. See, I, uh, I didn't start playing around town. I started playing in 97. I was 14. Okay. Actually... 13 is the first time I went to the Coconut Teaser to wow. see my guitar teacher play. I played I played at Coconut Teaser with Zach Wilde <sighs> and, uh, and uh, New Year's of 1990, I think 1991. Isn't it like a foo-foo club now? Like it's like a I dance I don't know club? what it is, but I remember the Coconut Teaser. It's a cool place. Oh, the Coconut. So I, I, it's so funny. Check this out. Yeah. I just recently put put together a Volkswagen bus for the Fogarty's, yeah. John Fogarty, blah blah blah. Yeah, I drove it up there. I drove the bus out there, fixed it all up because uh, I'm an art department guy now. Yeah, drove the bus out there while I was there, working on the bus. When the guy from the band came out, checked out the bus. I looked at him. He looked familiar. The next day, I found out. He was the bass player for White Lion. Oh, yeah. When the Children Cry? No, no. Well, <laughs> no I did saying. two videos yeah. for White Lion. Yeah. And he was my good friend. All of a sudden, it was like a fucking like big time 20 year reunion. They also did Transformers, right? I did yeah. for them Cry for Freedom. I did okay. a video for Cry for Freedom and another <laughs> video that I shot in Paris. And we actually were at Nugget. And Day. that was the bass player for White Lion. And, White he, Lion. Owned, and he owned the. He was no, no. He was, he was part of the uh, the John Fogerty. He was part of the John. That's what I'm saying. He was part of the band for that you were building the the, the exactly. And it was like it just like became a big like blast from the past. And when I played the Coconut Teaser, he was playing in that band. It was me, him, Zach Wild. It was totally insane. It's like a like. Okay, Nine, New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety-two. The Coconut Teaser was me, James, Zach Wilde, the drummer from White Lion, Jimmy Z that played with the the rhythmic Jimmy Z, the the, the, the yeah, hardware, sure. yeah. Jimmy Z, my good friend. Yeah, and we played that New Year's Eve. That's so nineteen ninety-two. Cool. Well, your story's cooler than mine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's like no, uh, no, that's, old dog stories. No, no, but that's really good. Zach Wilde, I love him too. He uh he 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 did a good job. A lot of some people talk shit because no, you can't please everybody online. I love Zach's tone. He co- brings it. He loves to play long shows. He loves to p- solo and give the audience everything. You know, I love Zach Wilde. I know something about Zach Wilde. Nobody does. Oh shit! <laughs> Zach Wilde is one of the most amazing country pickers. Oh yeah country sure. music picker like you're talking about like sure, sure. like 
at one point I went to his house and during those days we were rehearsing for that thing we're doing. He goes, John, I'm going to Nam and these people want to give me a really country, gentleman country guitar and they want me to play something on it. He goes, this is what I recorded and he played me this thing. It was just like, we talk about Doc Watson, Chet Atkins, you know, like, it was just like, there, there's one song I think it's on Sonic Brew where it's like revolution and there's a solo that's he does the country shit uh, there too he's an amazing country yeah. picker oh yeah you can hear I, 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 and, and other among other styles too he's good he's great he's great dude yeah yeah no I love Zach um my coconut teaser story is not as cool as yours, but no, 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 no. But I got in at thirteen to see my guitar teacher play. Uh, maybe I was even twelve. I might have been twelve and a half. In ninety-three, it was might have been ninety-three. It was maybe because here, check it out. So I went to go see him play. He was he had a band called Killer Riff. And by the way, my teacher, my teacher, He's pretty original, yeah, right. About, all bullshit aside, my teacher played awesome. He was a great player. He was a good guy. He played with Eddie Money, and he got fired because Eddie you know, Eddie Money was a cop in New York City, right? Yes, yeah, oh yeah, and a big cocaine fiend. A little, I've heard. <laughs> so. He 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 was playing this show, and I wanted to go support him and go to a Hollywood show. And my mom took me. My mom was there too. It was me and my mom, and that way it was more bona fide. Where was it? At the Coconut Teaser. Oh, and and so I go in with my mom, and and I did that thing. I was born in 1979, but I was big. I was a big fucking kid. So I went in there, and I saw my my guitar teacher was setting up, and then these guys walked in. And my mom looked up and she saw him. And because my dad used to play in Hollywood in the 80s, because he had a metal band and he was trying to make it, but he didn't have the patience. My mom looked up and she goes, Jason? And then this guy goes, Irene? And it was my dad's drummer and his band. And he was singing. And the guitar player from my dad's band, a guy named Mike Kinney, who I think was doing stuff at the Music Institute teaching and stuff, who killer killer guitar player and then some other guys but these two guys were in my dad's band and they came in when i decided to go they were the headline act that night really? and they decided we decided to go to see my teacher play and my mom runs into my dad's old band and they were like is this bobby they remembered me when i was a baby because and they were like he like slammed his hands on this chair because he was so stoked he was just like this is like the coolest surprise. And then they were awesome. They were amazing. What was their band? I don't remember, even remember what they were called. And it sucked because they were so good. And he sang like, wah, but he was at the wrong, they were all in the wrong time. They were still in hair metal stage, you know? Timing is everything, Bobby. And uh, what about adapting? Mm. <laughs> Come on. I think timing is everything. Well, sure. But, dude, if you say you're in love with an era, I mean, if you want to succeed, I mean, you can play what you love a little bit, but shouldn't you maybe adapt or try to innovate? Try to do something new? Or do you wait till it comes around again? Because it comes around. It depends what you want to do with the music. 
You know, it depends if you do the music to make the money yeah. or if you do the you music to fucking. No, it's not about no, selling if you sell, out. Well, no, you but know, it, it's, all, it's all about <laughs> how you perceive the music everything, and how yeah. lucky you are in getting it out there. Well, everything I've ever done has has been just the, if an idea comes to my, my head, I'll write it. I'll put it down. It, I don't care what style it is because it's in my head, and I'm like, if it's in my head and it keeps going, there's something catchy about it. Then I'll I'll do it, you know. It, no matter what style it is. But that's that's just like a painter or somebody that wants to make a drawing or, yeah. or anybody that's that's called uh, arts. Well, right? yeah. It's well, yeah. But arts, but right? what, but what if I hate the song because I hate a certain style of music? You know, oh. I'll still write it because what if some what if it, I play it and somebody hears it and they want to buy it? Aha! Uh-huh. So you're doing it for the money, maybe? You dog! <laughs> How dare you do that? Bobby? No, <laughs> you can't. It's my brain is doing it for the money, not me. Well, the thing is, I you know I have a different kind of point of view where I just like. I don't really give a fuck about the money. I just do it because it's it's a matter of just like playing the music. Well, obviously, you know, I I went and just played with your band. I know, I, you and because I, I want because I just no, nah, I just want to play sometimes. You know, well, that's good. Bobby. But there's certain. But you know, my buddy Tim said he said do it and do it as long as you want, as long as it's fun. If it's not fun, just fucking don't do it. Well, <laughs> you know, I feel this so. I feel that whole philosophy on life itself. Yeah, you know, um, you know, once you get older, and you look at people in old folks' homes, uh, I have no intention of going to old folks' home ever, ever. You know, I see my old man in old folks' home. Fuck that! I'm just like, so it's like once it start being fun. Where it's music, where it's life, where it's fucking whatever it is, eating or fucking eating, you know, it's like just quit it. Do you uh, know when your next music gig is gonna be? Oh fuck! Hopefully you'll come over to my house and you know <laughs> we'll be playing in the kitchen. Well, of course. Yeah. But as far as gig, I don't. I I don't really. I like playing out. Uh, if it's easy. Uh, I played the Viper Room. I never played the Viper Room again. And one time you played? Oh, I played there two, three times. I never want to play there. It's a huge pain in the ass. Oh, why is that? Well, okay. <laughs> Parking? <laughs> Not only that. You got to get all your shit together. You got to go over there. You got to park. You got to pay for park. You got to go in there, set up. Sometimes you have and, to you have to wait outside for the other band. And then, you, and then you're waiting outside. Yeah, it's, a, it's like... It's all Hollywood bullshit. Basically, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like you go in there, and then you have to bring at least 25 friends. Oh, yeah. They pay gonna, to play. That are going to park themselves, right? You, oh, and then they got to buy drinks. They got to buy two drinks per minimum. Yeah. And all my friends have fucking kids and lice, and I'm 61 years old, man. You think I have 20-year-old friends? You, you know my buddy Chris, He I went to high school with uh, Diaz. He... Is a he, he's somewhat I would call him a promoter now. He's at the Regent in downtown. Mm-hmm. He ended up he was at the 
the knitting factory. He ended up going to New York when the knitting factory closed because supposedly, I could be wrong, or somebody should do research, but I, I, they said, well, the rent went up to 25000 a month. So they closed the knitting factory down. He went to Brooklyn, was doing stuff there. When he came back to LA, he was working at the Roxy, I think, and they changed the, the formula for the Hollywood bullshit a little bit. They would have like a headliner act and a local band and they wouldn't do pay to play. They changed it. Well, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, Bobby, I'd much rather play music in my kitchen. I don't care for the applause. I don't care for the, you know, I don't get, give a fuck about any of that stuff. If I could play in my kitchen with two, a couple of good players or even one good player, I'm fine. Do you have any music albums that you have made? Yes. How many do you have? Got a couple. I got a, a full album that we did uh, about eight years ago, and an EP that we did about two years ago. Is there any way to check this out, or is there a way to buy it? Uh, there's someone on. Last time I checked, there was a program on iTunes. Oh, you're on iTunes. Yeah, Pilgrim. Pilgrim is the name of the band. Uh, Pilgrimite on iTunes and uh, you know I tried to uh, uh, try to push it out of my car or whatever or whatever but it's like I, at one point I even went yeah I'm a big fan of KCSN and I even went to uh, uh, donate time to, to call, answer in phones and I talked to Jeff Daniels and I brought him my CD I was there fucking you know Saturday morning, six in the morning, in Northridge, to answer the phone. And I went to see him and said, here's my CD, and we'll give it a listen, we'll tell you with the band, we care about the bands in L.A., and never heard from the fucker ever again. Yeah. And then I called him up, and I texted him, and I emailed him like fucking five, six, seven times, never fucking answered my call. Never answered, you know, like it was like, did Bobby, there's one thing. As an artist, if you have to push yourself down people's throat, then you're just a whore. The The worst part about certain music things in my life was always this weird promotion thing. The marketing was always annoying to me. Well, the thing is, just like, people don't like you right away. What am I gonna fucking you know, suck their dick to like me? Well, that ain't gonna happen. How you did know, that, you, that, you know what I'm saying? How did Van Halen do it? The band. They just kept playing and playing and parties, playing, and playing, and playing, and playing parties, and having a good time. Exactly. They were a party band. Exactly. And then they came up with cool ass shit. And then somebody in those days, people had fucking you know visions or whatever. Some guy said, "Hey, you wanted a record deal? Yeah, sure." Same thing happened with Motley. Same thing happened with Metallica. They were just a bunch of guys that believed in their music, but that wanted to be out there. That had something to prove. I don't have anything to prove, Bob. No, no, no. But that's but that's what makes your stuff cool too. Because every when I was hearing you play, there's a fucking soul. There's some soul to it that I was really t moved by. I when I when really? we yeah when we were playing that show. Uh -huh. The, I don't know. I don't. You hear it. I you hear the slide. You hear the voice. 
you feel the energy when we were playing and I saw the crowd and it was they, everybody was digging it. And then the dude came in with the harmonica. Oh, that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I don't know if you were but I was behind you so I pointed to I was I pointed to our friends in the audience and I was like Look at this guy. And then they both looked and they were like, what the fuck? I was like, something's going to happen now. But he <laughs> sure looked the part. Looked the part, but he didn't fucking sound the part. That guy sucked. I <laughs> <laughs> guy fucking sucked a huge like, elephant dick. Yeah, he, I remember because he came on and it was kind of like when he, it said, it's, well, maybe we were in the wrong key. Uh, uh, no, he was in the wrong key. A dude who brings a fucking harmonica should usually—I've never—that's the first time that ever happened where he sucked. Oh, he, every, he was bad. but every time I've had a harmonica guy show up, yeah. they usually kill it. Exactly. That that's was the, the thing. weird. I played harmonica for fucking thirty yeah. years, man, and dude, I could tell that guy could not fucking. You know, well, like, can I tell you, something? I don't really play the harmonica. I tried once, and I was like, "This sucks." No. No, but was, then I was like, "I could probably play better than that guy did." <laughs> harmonica was my first instrument. Yeah. So, and I played that for t- 30 years before I started playing this slide guitar. Yeah. You know, and it was like that guy was just, as soon as he started playing, I went like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? Now we have to go through a whole song with that idiot. <laughs> I'm not well, kidding. <laughs> that's, you know, the, see, that's the thing, too, is that that's what you thought. You're like, this fucking guy, Bobby, or White Wolf, <laughs> this fucking guy, <laughs> White Wolf, he wants to get on the stage with me, and now I'm going to have to spend the whole show with this piece of shit. Well, you know what? That I, I feared that when you said, you know, like right off the bat, you said, I said, you could play a couple songs, and you go, what if I play the whole show? And then I'm like, oh, fuck, really? Oh. <laughs> I know, but I was like, well, let me try. Let me try. Let me see. That's Because I said... What if I have a bad night or something? I'll walk off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, but the thing is, if you would have been anywhere close to that harmonica player, oh, I would have. <laughs> you wouldn't have lasted two songs. Dude. Well, I'm, I'm lucky. Luckily, I I think I'm not delusional. No, no, Bob, <laughs> people Bobby, are. I must say, you 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 were hard try. Well, check this out. So, what what we should do now? I think we had a. Unless you do, you have anything else you want to talk about? What? I don't know. I saying maybe we should write a quick song. Well, I think we should go take a piss and okay. fucking have a cigarette. Oh, yeah. Well, the- <laughs> and then fucking maybe we could do anything else you want. Maybe All right. open it so up a beer. So we're going to go get a, to another. <laughs> we're going to go take a piss and a cigarette right. and another beer. And, and, and we're going to go to a quick messages. And uh, we'll be yeah. right back. Do a word from our sponsors. Hey, Debbie. Franny, it's nice to see you. We've really missed you at church. It's nice to see you getting around so well. It'll take more than a gunshot wound to my rectum to take me down. (laughs) Oh, Debbie, you can say that again. Hey, that's a really nice purse you have there. Is that new? Honey, that's not a purse. That's my colostomy bag. Get out. That looks like one of those expensive purses at the mall. That's the point. And my insurance paid for it. Who says you can't have a colostomy bag and be fashionable at the same time? If you're going to be the center of attention, make sure it's for the right reason. You need our new fashion line of colostomy bags, which are covered by most insurance companies. Some restrictions may apply. Check us out on all social media platforms at 1-800-COLOSTOMY-BAG. That colostomy bag looks so good, I just might get one. You better hurry, they're going fast. Here's the number. Cause that's a 1-800-Colossomy-Bag, yeah! Now with sequins and faux fur. 
Well, we weren't talking about anything too important, uh, but uh, we were talking about we're going to end the show. Really? Well, oh, we're on the show right now? Well, we're going to end whatever the hell this is. What do you call this show? This is the White Wolf's Den. W-I-T-E-W-O-L-F. There's no H. Really? Why? Why? Because my dad was a crazy asshole. Well, that's good. And that's why he named me. The White Wolf, is that an Indian name? Absolutely not. I don't think so. I know there's definitely, there's no Indian in us. Really? Not that I don't want there to be, but but it's just, why was there no H? Why is that on my birth certificate? I don't know. Your real name is Bobby White Wolf? Bobby Robert Joseph. White Wolf Garofalo. Wow. Weird. It's my stage name now. I like White Wolf. I like it too, actually. It, it, uh, and all my realist friends, they, they'll actually, my, I mean, they call me Bobby, but there was a few special friends that always called me White Wolf, and I always loved it. Well, I'm, from now on, you be Bobby White Wolf. I love it. All right. Try, baby. 
drink and party Behind Belzebeth's back Last night Prince and Lemmy stole the devil's Cadillac They took it on a joyride Seriously, all I did was sit here and, and fuck up a few because it goes to the D to the E. I don't matter where it goes. Let's play one we we know, actually. Oh, one. we well, we know that one now. That's <laughs> right. Well, what do you want to play that we know?
with you, baby. Go back down to Mexico. If I don't follow
long time ago I should have quit you but I'm ever Go back down to Mexico Mr. Jean Pelleron. Pelleron. Okay, there's, there's one thing. Okay. Pelleron. Can you say ain? 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 My real name is Jean Pelleron. Pelle, where did Pelleron? Is it because it rhymes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because when I first came in, Pelleron. Uh, nobody, Pelleron. the ain is not part of phonetic uh, English phonetic language. Ain. Is not part of. Mm. Eh. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, they do the Elvis thing though. Eh, eh, <laughs> eh, eh. But it's like Jean Pelleron rhymes. Sure. So when people couldn't say, well, what? Dom Perignon? No, uh, it's Jean Pelleron. But the thing is, I had to get people to get to say my name right. Wasn't well, there another famous Jean Pelleron? 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 There was, uh, you know, in France a long time ago. A writer? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a writer. But at one point, I was in uh, New Orleans. My family is from Canada, but we were the, the history, family history. Uh, we we're Cajuns. That's where you guys' history is from. Yeah, Cajun. But the Cajuns were deported. At one point, the English came into Canada, and the first part of the country they encountered was in New Brunswick, in Acadia. And these people were really hardcore, patriotic, blah, blah, blah. And they said, we got to get rid of these fuckers. So they put them on boats. Women and children on one boat, men on the other boat. They separated them. And the men ended up in New Orleans, in Louisiana. So there, they were slaves, basically. And they hooked up with the, the blacks. So they were working among the blacks in the cotton fields. So at one point I was in New Orleans, uh, about 25 years ago, and I opened the phone book, and I saw Jean Pelleron in the phone book. So I called him up. And that Jean Pelleron that I talked to was a black man. So I found out that there was a Jean Pelleron, a black man in, in Louisiana. And I found out later it was like when the Lincoln, you know, like freed the slaves. The slave took the names of the, either the owners who were decent to them treated them well or the name of the people that worked among them and Pelleron was one of the names that that right now you go down to Louisiana there's tons of black Pellerons but none of them were born with that name so they adopted the name because the Pellerons that they work and with were 
decent folks, I guess, or the people that, that had a white name that they could relate to. Well, there's a ton of people that adopted their slave, you know, family names. Yeah. And there's a lot of black people who are renouncing that and going back to their, trying to go back to their African roots if they can find it. That's, that makes sense to me, you know, it's like you should have your, you know, your roots or whatever, but, you know, it's like, it was funny to talk to, call somebody going like, I can I speak with Jean Pellerin? And he goes, this is Jean Pellerin speaking. I go, hey, this is Jean Pellerin calling. And eventually I got to ask him <laughs> if he was black or white. You, did, uh, do you do that in all the cities or just in New Orleans? Do you try to find the No, I knew I, had, I knew I had roots in, in Louisiana. I knew there was, you know, I knew from a family tree that there was roots in Louisiana. But I didn't know it was like, well, I had a feeling it would have been underground roots. It would have been, you know, like aristocrat roots. Yeah. Because, you know. Yeah. I wasn't born into money. You told me he had an interesting family history. I'm just your fool, can't help myself. I love you, Bobby. Maybe somebody else ain't lying. No, you should drive. Just your fool. I love you, baby. But nobody else ain't lying. Ain't no use Just your boo. I said you must be trying to drive me crazy. Treat me the way you do. As you please have mercy, baby. Be happy too. You're gonna leave me for somebody new. I wanna buy me a shotgun. She the motherfucker do. I ain't lying. No use in driving, just your fool. You're Bobby. Oh, 
She'll board him a new England. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your food. stories out of my ass I, i'm down to have you even come around when i have uh, other people and just be there you know what i'm oh, saying i'd love to i think i think it's uh i think what you're doing is really interesting and i think it uh you know i wish i had the balls to do what you're doing well hey dude <laughs> you've done things but you know what i'm saying it's just but like you keep I'm, going i mean it, it, it'll happen that you'll you'll do it it's just like you're taking a break because you did a lot already and you can do more too. I mean, it's just... Yeah, but the thing is after, you know, I've done my career or whatever, I've kind of become jaded. Yeah, I'm kind of taking the easy path. I'm going like, hey, man, I'm just, you know, like fucking 61 years old, you know? I'm looking at the thing where do I want to fucking make movies again? No. Why? What do you want to, well, what do you want to do? You know what? I just want to travel. Well, good. I just want to travel and fucking play music. And, and eat good food with good yeah, people. Exactly. And play music with good people. Yeah, and I like to get work done. I like to work. I like to, you know, if I go come come to your house and you need to build a fucking lean-to, I'll be there. You know, if you want to fucking redo your yard, I'll be there. That's what I want to do. I just want to fucking spend If you some- remember... No, no, no. I, no, I'm just saying, this is that thing that happened earlier. He was like, hey, wait a minute, I was supposed to help so-and-so. No, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. I'm no, like, of course, I'm just kidding. I'm a, I'd like to go, I like if I'm going to visit somebody somewhere, yeah. and they're going to say, Jean, come and stay at the house. First thing I'm going to do is look around for, you know, for, this needs fixing, this needs fixing, this would be great if we do this. Now I'll go with the guy, go, hey, fuck, I'm staying at your place, what are you doing? Can I make... You know, make this happen. You know, we you know get the materials on, get it going. That's pretty much how I want to spend the rest of my life. Just like you know, enough to live, enough to be able to pay the rent. If I can travel and you know help people out and play music, I'd be happy as pig and shit. Well, that's definitely a smart way to do it. You know, I'm always been concerned about like at the end. Like I'm trying to put money away just because I don't want to. I, I I'm I'm a little worried about carrying couches. Like I I don't know how you do it, dude. <clears throat> like I saw you run up the stairs today. I was like, I think this guy runs up the stairs better than I do. 
Well, because I'm 150 pounds. Yeah. Well, either way, I still I already talked about what I have to do but on you the know last podcast. Well, the I thing did. is, Bobby, you're 35 years old. I can run up the stairs. I'm being a little facetious. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're 35 years old. I'm fucking. You know, I got half a life on you. You know, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm as far as all these, you know, things that I've had to do with my life, whatever. I consider and go. I got ten good, ten good years left. Yeah. Before I can't run up the stairs like I do. You know what I mean? Or lift fucking, you know, like, you know, couches or whatever, or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Half of people my late my age can't even do that shit. It's the, it's the, I think it's the poor person in us. Well, it's, the, I'm not you know, saying you're, poor, you were, I'm just saying you come from humble, you come from a humble thing. And I think there's a power behind that. There's a strength in that, you know, I'm not saying taking anything away from anybody born to something else, no. but I've certainly just beat my ass my whole life. I've always just been hustling. But not only that, but if you're working on a team, that's the whole thing. I'm a team player. I've made films all my life. I know films is a teamwork. And everybody's got to fucking pull their weight or more than your weight. And yeah. sometimes, you know, whether under my leadership, when I was making film, people that pulled their weight, like got their, their weights worked. Where I would make, you know, I'd go out of my way going, hey, dude, you did a fucking great job for me. Thanks. Yeah. Whether it's a PA, the DP, or whoever, the AD, I don't give a fuck. If the, the guy did great work for me, really cared for me and what I was doing, I'm fucking go out of my way to tell them. Yeah. But nowadays, it's not like that. Hey, even back then, it was not like that. I, were, I saw, I went on sets with fucking, you know, Directors that were fucking, you know, tyrants. Sam Bear. I work with Sam Bear a lot. Fucking, you know, like, uh, what's his face? (laughs) Fincher. Fincher was a dick. (laughs) Sam Bear was a dick. There's so many fucking, these directors I work with that were fucking pricks. But I went, like, all this, being on their set going, why is everybody so tense? Why is everybody so fucking, you know, like... Well, the, uh, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to I have... <laughs> I worked on, I worked on a thing with Sam Bear. He's a dick. No, I, I'm not going to say anything. But He's dude, a fucking dick. So, like, let me tell you, though. We were in... He loves shooting in the desert because he there's a road out there that he could drive his car really fast on. And there's a whorehouse at the end. Oh. <laughs> so, I... Uh, Fuck. I, uh... What did I, I I took a picture on the set because I was on setting, and he goes to the the production designer who's a friend. Uh, I consider him a friend, uh, but he looks at the production designer and he goes, "I know you." And then there was this my friend Corey, bless his soul, he passed away, and I know you, but I don't know you. Why are you taking pictures? And I was like, I'm taking set photos. They're not going to end up anywhere. And he goes, All right, I'm watching you. But it was like I was. It was a little tense, you know. It's been on crack. <laughs> Fuck it. Anyway, so Bobby, what yeah. time is it? It's late. I think we're going to call it a night, at least for the podcast. I also want to. I wanted to show you uh, 
how, at least how some of it sounded, because I thought it sounded pretty cool. Uh, Stuff we've done right here. I'm gonna sh- give uh, you a little you are taste. So full I'm of gonna beans, I'm gonna give you a taste of how it sounds before I publish it or whatever. No, but, I don't want to hear it. Oh, well, I do. Um, but anyways, Vive <laughs> Jean Pellerin. Is that Pellegrin. right? Yeah. Pellegrin. With Pellegrin. a G? No, Pellegrin. Okay. All right. I Bob. got it. I got it. Pellegrin. Hang Pellegrin. On. Hang on. Right? That was it. Yeah. No, no, you did good. With an R. This is a weird thing. My mom would be proud. Here, uh, my friend here in the States called me, all. they all call me Jean Pellegrin. Yeah. And they don't say just Jean or no. Pellegrin. They call me Jean Pellegrin. Yeah. But in Canada, my French friends, Call me Johnny Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, because because I don't know. Do you know why? Well, it's a di- direct translation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because the French call me an English name, and the English French, uh, the English speaking people call me a French name. Yeah, it's like uh, driving on a parkway and parking on a driveway. <laughs> That's what they do. Parking on the driveway, going downtown. Parking on the gravel, bumbling down. Anyways, um, did you have fun? I had, Bobby. It's a pleasure getting to know you over a podcast. Yeah, it's all right, right? That was very cool. It was cool to get to know you because we never. Every time we try, you try to tell me a story, you land and it's like. Hey, I get it. What are you doing? <laughs> so it's like I figured, uh, and it's 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 good too that I don't have to. I think work tomorrow because now I can pr- quickly like put this thing together. But we got Jean Pellerin here, Johnny Pilgrim. Okay. Uh, he plays around town. He has some songs on iTunes. He's gonna probably make a new album someday. <laughs> You're working with on you, Bobby, with probably with me because yeah. he seems to think that me, we and him can make some pretty cool shit yeah, together. No, I got tons of stuff. Yeah, we're gonna make some music and uh, and then uh, there's gonna be a good future, I think, for us. Uh, you know, I, how do you feel about that? It's funny, Bobby. There's a fun thing. Uh, not too long ago, I saw a producer, a friend of mine, that was. Producing videos when I was when I was at the top, when I was he was working for me and it was a big time producer. He's working with huge people right now. He goes, Sean, you got it all wrong, man. I go, what's that? He goes, you started out at the top and worked your way to the bottom. <laughs> You're supposed to do the other way around. Isn't that a that's that happens in this town sometimes. Uh, there's another thing I learned in the film business. You know, when you said when he told you you never work in this town again. When I f- did my first job, that uh, one of the guys says you're 15 minutes away from never, from never working in this town again. He told me that because it, because if I only had one contact when I first started, right? And if that person never called me again, nobody was going to call exactly. me. And that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, shit happens for a reason. I stayed in this business. I met great people in this business. I'm doing this because this business allows me to do this, you know? Yeah. And and <clears throat> who gives a fuck? I think the key is uh, to be the same on the way up. As on your way down. If you can do that, that's brilliant. But that's, you know, the reason why I'm working our department right now is like when I came back from Canada, after making films, I tried to go to Canada to make my own films. 
because there was funding there, and they never gave me shit. And when I came back, all the people that I brought up in this business rallied up with me and go, hey, Sean, what are you doing? Oh, you want to work? Well, fucking come play with us, art department. You'll love it. You can, you know. And then I started working with my friend Ben Whitaker. And then, I, you know, Sensi was, like, showing up. She was just a little girl starting. Who and introduced you to Sensi? She was working with Ben and and Terry. I thought Landon, but he always claims. No, 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 no. Okay. I knew Sensi way before okay. fucking, wow, years before since he was working with us, doing little, and I started teasing her, mm. and just like start. I, I loved her from the start, and yeah. then she became. Now she's making fucking more money. That she's in union, she'd make fucking five fifty a day, and I'm a director. I'm directing fucking five six movies, and I'm making three hundred bucks a day. Yeah, and you know what? I love it. I don't care because I'm working with good people, and I'm working with friends, and they mostly treat me good. Well. Sometimes Landon's got a stick up his ass, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But at least. Of course I do. You know, but I mean, you know, even Marcel knows what I've done in the past. And, you know, she kind of respects me, but still I'm like, I'll do whatever she said. She asked me. So How at this point hook, in my uh, life, I'm at, I'm at the bottom of the ladder again. Well, but you know what? It That happens. You know? I, I'm not worried. No, I'm, you know, it happened to my friend's dad. You know, he made a lot of money designing. Uh, the wood grain on cars in the 80s. And his best friend, who was his accountant, ripped him off of everything he had. He went to court, and then the lawyer said, we're going to need more money. And he's like, I don't have any more money. And he goes, well, then we're done. And then he lost everything, and then he remade it again, the fortune. And the well, other guy lost everything. I'm not out to make a fortune. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, but just I'm just saying. I'm just to have you, a good time. You, you've done it. You lost it. You did it. You it, who knows? It's like like you said. I mean, just keep on and and try to do what you can do that you love. If you do what you can do to travel, you know, do whatever you can, and don't and don't just and do it for the the cool the the fun of it. Don't do it for the money. Hey, do don't tell me what to do. Oh, I'm not telling you. I'm telling our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a hard pill to swallow at the end. I, I try. you know what I yeah I just. If you swallow it with a cold beer, you're okay. <laughs> I'll take. I'll drink to that. Sounds good. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Bobby. I love you. I love you too, man. You're a badass dude. You are a badass dude. Thanks, baby. Thank you for tuning in to the White Wolf's Den. That was Jean Pellerin. He is a amazing director. Uh, an amazing musician uh, and he has a great story to tell uh, I really enjoyed having him on you can check out some of his work on on YouTube you can look him up on IMDB you can find the White Wolf's Den on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify SoundCloud you can find the White Wolf's Den on Facebook Twitter and Instagram uh, subscribe and you can go to my website at www.whitewolfsden.com and remember it does not have an H you can email me questions at whitewolfsden at gmail.com thank you for listening I'm going to include some bonus content of when Jean was replacing his string he was telling me a story as well as me 
talking about a book called Strat in the Attic and also a longer version of the colostomy bag commercial because I cut it down. And we're back. Jean is putting a better string on his guitar. Hopefully I can get it through the dealio. I could do that for you if you want, man. Good luck, Bobby. There's a little... uh, You're talking about antiques here. Yeah, so Jean has this really cool old guitar. How long have you had that guitar? I've had that guitar for about 30 years, Bobby. I bought this thing at a place called Guitars or Us. That was right across from uh, the Guitar Center. Yeah. There was Which, a guitar... When was, when was the guitar... Guitar Center? There was... A, when did was Guitar Center there? Guitar Center showed up in the late 80s, I think. But at that place... That... Uh, on, oh, I'm sorry about it. That's okay. Don't hear. Let me... You want me that, to... Uh, there was a... Uh, that whole thing on Sunset Boulevard in between Gardner... And the Rock and Roll Ralph, and up from Gardner as well was. Uh, here, I got you. What it you, was what called you Gu- Guitar Row. Oh, you're trapped. I yeah, see. that's what I'm fucking okay, trying. Here, to hold on. Well. Here we go. <laughs> it was called Guitar Row, and on Guitar Row there was uh, Alvarez was there. Yeah. There was Freedom Guitar on the corner of Gardner and uh, Sunset. There was the Neely guitar, this black market guitar. The guitar, where I got this guitar was the Guitars R Us. And a guy named Alex was running Guitars R Us. I think Guitars R Us is still existing online. But it was a like, very uh, exciting place to go because there are all these guitar stores. And they're all over Gardner, the Gardner, Sunset, in between Sunset and that other street where Sam Ash is right now. And it was, you know, you go out there and try out guitars and just like the the guys at the guitar store would let you just sit around for hours. Can I try this one? Yeah, sure. You know, like. I, and I, I was friend with a guy at Guitars R Us named Albert, and he would let me try all these great dobros and stuff. And one day I walked in there, and he had this 1958 uh, National top, uh that, looked, that had no pickup, but it sounded really sweet and... I got it for, I think, 500 bucks or whatever. At that time, I was doing music videos for all the heavy metal heads. I had money, and it was like dumping 500 bucks on the guitar. I was like, oh, fuck, man. I love it. It's Christmas time. Yeah, fuck yeah. What year was that? That was probably... I had the guitar for 30 years. It's, you know, 83, 84, 85, 86... You know, I was uh, reading a story about uh, <clears throat> there's a there's a really cool book called Strat in the Attic. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> no, no. It's written by Steven Tyler. Uh, Strat in the I, Attic. I don't think so, but like toys in the attic. Yeah, but but uh, it's basically a play on like some dude found this old Strat in his attic and it was worth like thirty thousand dollars. But they so there's a bunch of stories. It's a collection of stories about cool guitars that were run into 
And this one guy bought a 59 Les Paul and he had it when it first came out and it was 150 bucks and that was a lot of money at the time. Let's see what we got here. I'm getting there, Bobby. Keep going. Okay, so it was 150 bucks and then a couple of years went by and people were like, oh, I want to buy that guitar. And he's like, no, 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 no. And somebody offered him like 800 bucks in the 60s and he was like, that's a lot of money. And he's like, yeah, but I love this guitar. It's my favorite guitar. And then they kept this one guy kept pressuring him and pressuring him and pressuring him. And he was like, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And then one day in 71, that same guy was like, dude, I'll give you $1,800 for it. And he's like, 1800 bucks is like seven months of rent or eight months of rent. That's crazy for this guitar I bought for 150 bucks. So he sold it to that guy and 1959 Les Pauls are worth uh, somewhere between a quarter million dollars and a million dollars now. <clears throat> They're one of the most sought-after guitars in the world right now. There's another guy who brought his guitar into a shop to be worked on, and he left was left... There. But No, well, left is a funny word. He was left-handed, and he lived in Hawaii, and he, they brought him that guitar, and he cut... The, the he flipped it around, cut it so that you know the cut so he could have a cutaway, and then he he changed he added a whammy bar and he and he drilled into it. <laughs> and they were like, What did you do to this guitar? And he goes, I needed it. <laughs> and, oh. and they were like, You ruined it, but whatever, you know. It's his guitar. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not anybody else's guitar. Like this guitar. This, this, I'm never selling this guitar. Play, play. You were going to play a song, weren't you? You want to, are you tuned up or what? What are you um, doing? I'm pretty close. So how old is this guitar? It's as old as I am, Bob. So 400 years old. <laughs> Fuck you. I was born in 1958. <laughs> 19, was, that guitar is a f from the... 1958. That's a 1958 guitar. Yeah. Wow. Same year as I was born. That's that's actually very... I, I need to do that. I need to buy a guitar for my birthday. See, you have to, I have to stretch it out a bit. Yeah, give it a little stretch. We just got a new string on this guitar. Has it, I haven't played the guitar in a long time. Long. Well, this is a great place to play it, I think. And we're going to try not to edit like too much on here because it's like we're human. And oh, this is going to take you forever. <laughs> so you think. That's my nose meter right there. nice to see you. We've really missed you at church. It's nice to see you getting around so well. It'll take more than a gunshot wound to my rectum to take me down. <laughs> oh, Debbie, you can say that again. Hey, 
That's a really nice purse you have there. Is that new? Honey, that's not a purse. That's my colostomy bag. Get out. That looks like one of those expensive purses at the mall. That's the point. And my insurance paid for it. Who says you can't have a colostomy bag and be fashionable at the same time? If you're going to be the center of attention, make sure it's for the right reason. Swag. You need our new fashion line of colostomy bags, which are covered by most insurance companies. Some restrictions may apply. We have worked closely with the top purse designers of the world who deduct what they would have made as a charitable donation, and in return, you get a functional fashion statement. Check us out on all social media platforms at 1-800-COLOSTOMY-BAG, or check out our Lit Shit Bag line for all you millennials out there. If you hashtag Lit Shit Bag on any social media platform, we'll throw in two designer custom blinged out catheter bags for either yourself, a friend, or a family member. That Colostomy Bag looks so good, I just might get one. You better hurry, they're going fast. Here's the number. Cause that's a 1-800-Colostomy Bag, yeah! Now with sequins and faux fur.